Welcome to the 54th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Dusendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkin. We're here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about how to have an outage. We're going to do this over the course of several episodes. Um, we're going to revisit this from time to time. It's a big topic. There's a lot of pieces to it. And today's topic is mostly focused on the initial planning and preparation for a planned outage or the initial response to an unplanned outage. And what's more practical in operation sense than dealing with the unexpected? Or planning. Or planning or for the outage. unexpected? Yeah. Now, this can be as simple as saying we're going to migrate from one data center to another. Well, sorry, that's not a simple example. But this can be as straightforward as we're doing a known quantity of work over a known period of time. We're going to shut things down and bring things back up afterwards. It can also be we need to upgrade certain components of the system so we're taking portions of a website offline or taking portions of an ordering system offline while we do pieces of this upgrade or, the, or a transition. Mostly these days, I hear what companies do this as they're transitioning to the, to the cloud infrastructures, as they're shutting down physical data centers and they're standing up resources in the cloud, and they're giving themselves an outage window for degraded service or a complete outage to kind of support that transition. But now that I work in the private sector and not ye old university, which I've ranted about before, um, I realize that, you know, I've done a lot of outages. I've, I've served some time. I've got some cool outage stories under my belt. But the working outages that are revenue impacting, or perhaps in a significant sense, is really something that's fairly new to me, and is is definitely a very different dynamic than than when file servers at the university uh, uh, take a dump, and you've got to figure out how to fix them. Yeah, so you actually had real consequences versus people just being angry at your door. At the university, there's no way to really associate a dollar sign with with an outage in a lot of senses. Um, how do you measure productivity at a university? Uh, number of people you confer degrees to? Uh, sure. But yeah, private sector, your website down, your users have no, have no experience. Your users are off to another website. And that's actually measurable cash that you're losing. So... In my notes, for the planned outage part, one of my first entries is to actually have a plan, to have a runbook, uh, to sit down, to document every step that you're going to take, and then to actually do that in a different environment, like a test environment, QA, perf, whatever you have that is exactly like production, except it doesn't serve production traffic. And then you run those that runbook against it. And if you have issues, you obviously fix it, but you want to have your plan clear and documented so that the night of that you're doing this or the early morning or whenever it, it, it occurs, you're not sitting there having to really think about it. You're, you're really just analyzing your plan and you're, you're executing it. Uh, and hopefully you don't have to deviate, it, deviate from it. Um, obviously, there could be <laughs> something that pops up, but you know, hopefully they're not the night of. You're like, oh, wait, maybe we should... Run this command instead of this. No, you you should not be Googling a backup command or whatever that you're doing that, that night. That should already be written down and have already been tested. No plan survives first contact with the internet, Jared. But <laughs> in the same vein, rehearsing is incredibly important. So, Jared, while we're doing this network upgrade, can we sneak in a database upgrade as well, please? 
Sure. Do it more the merrier, right? <laughs> I mean, we're taking the stuff down. And that's the other problem is that you, and I see it a lot with like cloud migrations and other things where you just instead of sticking to the one thing that you're going to do, you have we have this tendency, we all do. I mean, you know, I've probably done it myself is that you like, well, we're going to be down. We might as well try to do knock out two or three things. And that's that's not a good thing to start doing because then you stretch yourself way too thin. You might have uh, you have a higher chance of failure or something going wrong. And then if something does go wrong, it's harder to debug. Well, was it when I was You're doing this or that? a system that's different from the system you shut down. So there's no way to, to guarantee the behavior of the new system or measure its behavior against a, a known good system. You've changed it. For me, all of this kind of comes back to the idea that if you're going to have, if you're planning an outage of any kind, you have to do a bunch of homework. You have to really like focus in on what is this outage about? What is the purpose of the outage? Why are we taking things down and possibly risking sales or revenue or whatever it is? And does that thing that we're doing this actually warrant having an outage? Like is the... Is the need to upgrade MySQL weigh that against the revenue lost for doing the upgrade? You you need to balance things out in terms of taking things offline, or balance with the features that you're going to get out of the maintenance. Yeah, because if if the outage goes badly and suddenly you're down for a week because you couldn't, there was a a story a couple of weeks ago or maybe a couple of months ago where there was an operator working on one of the large cloud cloud providers was doing some operations with database stuff and they dropped some tables and then they started restoring from backups. And they were down for three or four days. So they took a, a couple hour outage window and they made it into a huge event. And in that event, you lose customers, you you lose money, you lose long-term business. So always think about when you're planning an outage, if things go badly, what's the worst case? What's the, oh crap, we've just lost the service instead of upgraded the service. What's your rollback look like? What's your restore? How do your backups look? All that should be tested well in advance so you know it and you it's a seamless thing. So you say, oh, well, if everything goes completely wrong and we lose the master tables, we have people on people who are here and present working the, working the outage that know how to use the, the backup and restore tools and have done it recently. And you have a timeout for that. You say, we're going to only allow ourselves to get this deep before we cut our losses and restore from backup. Because... It's always another five minutes, right? Just a few more button strokes. I've almost got it. One more one more click and I'm there. So for any type of outage, whether it be planned or unplanned, the thing that's most important to me and I tell people is super, super important is to nominate a flight director or some form of communications officer. In any kind of outage, you want one person and only one person that's in charge of of your communications between the team doing the work and the managers, the customers, whoever the people that use those services are. So this person makes regular updates to your status page. Uh, This person coordinates with management. This person answers questions for management and shields the team actually doing work. And can pass information back and forth, but there's one person that has the entire outage in their head, where they are with the progress, and is actually recording documents during the outage of what's going on, which 
after the outage very quickly turn into a timeline and are very helpful in doing postmortems, whether this is is planned or an unplanned outage. I think the person you choose for that position is vastly different for a planned versus unplanned outage, but that key person to me is the linchpin that makes an outage go well or an outage go poorly. It's also critical to me that during, especially an unplanned outage, but also a planned outage, that the only person that is asking the team for status updates is the flight director. No external party can ask any individual member of the team, like, when's it coming back up? How long is email going to be out for? How long is this outage going to take? Because you don't want the engineers who are working on the problem to get have their cell phones go off or have HipJet coming in or whatever it is that's that's distracting them from getting it's the work done. It's not appropriate to distract the team during work with management questions of, well, do we roll back now? Can we do this? Do we roll back now? That's why you have that's a flight director? That's, that's the, the purpose of the role. The flight director's purpose. So the team doing the doing the work needs to be completely shielded from the external parties. And, that's and some the, outages I ended up working, and to a degree, it's a, a best practice at some level, is having a, a dedicated Zoom room or some sort of dedicated conference bridge that when you have an outage, everybody joins the conference bridge and we know where to get updates and how to pass information efficiently back and forth. However, that also can be difficult for a flight director to step in and control, although it's very possible. Um, But it's easy to get yourself in a situation where you've got upper management who may be financially and emotionally invested in the service that's down, um, trying to drive the ship or trying to ask inappropriate questions. That's just not helpful for the team that's trying to do the work who's also on that call uh, so that folks can communicate efficiently. Those channels are really very much dedicated for the technical team doing work to communicate with a flight director. And speaking of status pages, I know this was a little while back, uh, that is externally hosted, right? On S3, right? (laughs) I'm sorry, Amazon, but thank you for giving us the quintessential example outage of our time and exactly the correct way to handle it in a transparent manner and how to make a better IT community out of all of us for it. Yeah, I'm I'm sure their status page will not go down again during an S3 outage if they have another one. Or hopefully, I guess. Yeah, that would be that would be amazing. In, in the, I'm amazed at how bad, but yeah, that and, would. And along the line, same lines too. Uh, this is probably getting less and less important nowadays. But if you're running like a a e-commerce site or some sort of web presence, and you're having to take your web layer down, having a landing page that you know alerts the end user what's going on, maybe even a link to the status page, but just a a, a friendly page that's maybe even styled in your uh, normal design language that lets yeah, that's users been know. Handled by your UI team? Yes. Exactly. So it isn't just a 404 or 502. You know, I, I don't know how many times I've seen the Nginx 502 gateway um, error message because, you know, someone's got a Rails app or whatever that's behind a proxy and it's down during maintenance and I'm getting a 502 error. 
the other thing that should be on the status page, and this is kind of also related to this whole conversation, is if you have a problem and you're an impacted party who's more important in terms of your either business partner or whatever, who do you get in touch with? Because if, there, if that information isn't on the status page or isn't communicated clearly to the stakeholders before the outage happens, they're going to be scrambling trying to find the person who can answer the question, and they're going to reach for oh, do I, know, do I know somebody on the engineering team? Do I know somebody I can reach out to directly who is responsible for this service? So having that clearly communicated and clearly signaled by the advanced planning, so when you're, when you're putting this together, you figure out who the important stakeholders are, you figure out how and where it's best to communicate with them, if it's an email or if it's a Skype call or if it's a project plan or however you do it. Um, so you have a clear way to communicate with folks. Anybody who you missed, they have a clear sense from your your status page or your outage page that says, hey, we're aware of the problem. Go talk to flight director or go talk to the coordinating team above the engineers doing the work. Communication is hard. It really is. And I, I hate to mention like project plans and stuff because a lot of people have bad reactions to them. But it's... Having these things laid out correctly in a even in a gigantic like a Gantt style waterfall, you know, old school chart is really nice because you can you can see all the pieces that need to happen. You can watch the dependency chain. It's really easy to kind of plan out what you're doing, even for a very complex project. And you make a good point. Uh, waterfall rules king for outages. The last thing you really want to do is start up a scrum team to handle an outage. You in a a situation where there are massive potential unknowns and revenue impacting, you really want to have some very tight coordination between step number one is done, hand off to step number two, hand off to step number three. Yeah, I know that. You know, it's just like if you try to use agile in the wrong sense, waterfall was used wrongly in a lot of programming link, programming tasks when or projects instead of being Agile or Scrum or whatever. But in this instance, Waterfall really is the best planning method for these kinds of things because there, there are hard dependencies on, say, moving servers from a rack from one rack to another. I mean, you have things that you have to do beforehand, afterwards, and things have to wait on those order. So Waterfall is probably the best way to, to plan and track those kinds of, of issues. Yeah, especially if your outage is not just software. If your outage has anything to do with the, phys the physical world or moving resources between things in the physical world, like different cloud providers. Like, for example, if you're doing a, a, a co-location change or you're doing a, a data center move, do you have enough power and cooling in the place you're going? Do you have the rack space for it? I mean, have you looked through all of the pieces beforehand? And those are all just parts of your, your waterfall chart of saying, yep, we've... We've done, we've done the physical side assessment. We know that's all good. We've done this piece of it. We know that's good. We, we have the, the shipping containers lined up. The dock is clear. Like We've gone through getting parking permits or whatever it is you need. So when it comes time, you have a high level of confidence that the things that you need are there and waiting for you. And this has real implications for cloud uh, stuff as well. If you're doing a, a lift and shift into a cloud provider, do you have your your Amazon resource limit set correctly, are you going to get halfway through the outage and realize you can't create any more EC2 hosts? I did a project a number of years ago for a small university. 
and they were bringing in a couple of thumpers, the Sun X forty five fifties or whichever one they were, the one the the second generation of the forty eight drive bay ZFS boxes. Those are fun machines. And somebody missed that they were only two twenty volt. Oops. Oops. Yeah, that wasn't so good. Um and we figured it out, but it was it was one of those things that, that really should have been <laughs> caught in the planning phase and not, okay, they're here, the consultant's here, we're working on this now, and, oh, we we can't plug them in. It takes a bit of powder to spin up all that spinning rust. Oh, you just wire two of the commons, I mean, two of the hots together, right? I mean, that's 220. So. Yeah, I mean, by, by American wiring standards, you just do the, the center top split phase and you're good, but... Yeah, it's it's not something you want to put in a in a data center or in a machine. This is actually wasn't this is a machine room, not a data center, and they did not have the the adequate power that they needed. Um, they worked around it. It turned out that the UPS had active um, two twenty volt on it. It was a large one of those big cabinet oh, wow. style things, and so we hooked it into that, and it that got us through until the electrician came to run more more circuits. But it was. Mm -hmm. One of those, like, how did we miss this? How did how did this not come up in the planning? And it was because we didn't do a great job of the planning, and that's totally on us. So planning, I like to use the term rehearsal because yes. I know sometimes it doesn't always feel as beneficial as getting actual real work done, but the fact that your technical team has sat down and contrived an unplanned outage and spent an hour trying to work through on on paper or on the whiteboard an outage that happened and what steps you would go through to mitigate certain parts of it uh, is an amazingly helpful tool for generating documentation that's very handy to reference during a real outage and being more familiar with your infrastructure and generally what to do in the case an outage happens. How do we choose a flight director? What are our communication lines? Uh, so doing, you know, a chaos monkey style rehearsal of an outage is, is really useful. The same with planned outages. You want to really rehearse those outages and go through what you think will happen step by step and make sure your plans are aligned and that you have contingency plans along the way. A few years back at one of the Monotrauma conferences, there was a company, and I'm, I'm blanking on who it was, but they, they did that, where one year, once a year, they would sit down and pretend things died, and they would go through the steps of what they needed to do to, to, to fix it. Yeah, have one of your tech guys uh, contrive a scenario... And he he is the he or she is the person that has the solution more or less, and half folks go back and forth. And if I ran this command, what would be my results? Um, and and sort of mentally and verbally and whiteboard your way through that problem until you guys uh, get to a mitigation or a solution. Sounds a lot like uh, questions I ask people during interviews, but that process. That's why we hire you. I think the Chaos Monkey stuff really lends itself to planning outages because it forces you to build services and understand services in a way that 
you know, how to operate during degraded service. Um, one of the things that I try to do as much as I can whenever I'm playing with something new, like I, when, I, when we first started using Kafka, I spent a couple of weeks before we put, put Kafka into production, whenever I had a free minute, going and breaking things. What happens when a broker file, what, fails? What happens when, you know, somebody deletes data out from underneath it while it's running? What happened? Like I just went through all the scenarios I could think of so I could observe how and why Kafka failed and what to do when it happened. And I made notes of it and put, went, put it in the wiki. So this kind of formed the, the the first generation of our, this is the operational knowledge of Kafka. This is how we use it. This is how it kind of behaves internally as we apply tools to it. And this is how you recover from specific kinds of outages that we've seen so far. And it's really handy, especially when you have the other kind of outage, which is the unplanned outage that bites you, you know, during dinner or whenever it is. But it isn't just a, oh, well, we lost a power supply in a, in a web server. It's a MySQL is down and it's all hands on deck and we need to get everybody in who can fi who can help fix this. And we're going to work on it all night because this is huge. But those puzzle pieces are really important for putting the picture back together. I like running Chaos Monkey because it also helps get into another aspect, which is to get you to a place where you don't hopefully have to have planned outages and unplanned outages become more of an annoyance or a degradation of some service versus an entire site outage. Because then you start architecting your way around uh, single points of failure. You start having a redundancy. You start doing, using distributed systems, that kind of thing. And it gets to the point to where you don't have to have an outage to do a database change anymore. You use database triggers or something in your app to replicate data so that you're not having to sit there and take things offline. You're, it's just it's something you do all the time. And, and running Chaos Monkey to help you find those pain points and then code out of them is or architect your way out of them is something that I think uh, more companies should do. Indeed. It also helps you see what tools you need. Like oh, there's a deficiency in recovering from this particular kind of error. Is it worth spending a couple of hours writing a tool? So at three o'clock in the morning when there is an outage and this, this kind of error comes up, we have a tool that we just run and it just fixes it. Well, yeah. If, if you can figure out ways to save yourself that pain and make the unplanned outage resolve faster, that's extraordinarily valuable. And that's what things like either doing dry, doing, doing rehearsals or doing Chaos Monkey or doing other things help teach you. There's a couple extra things that the flight director is responsible for that, that are super important. One is to keep track of time. The flight director needs to be able to put together a timeline of events. And it's definitely important, especially when you're working with outside vendors, to be able to track. Vendors said this would take 20 minutes. It's been 15 minutes. We're still good. Or it's been 45 minutes. We need to figure out how to get a status update. Other things that are important. Sometimes outages last a long time. And the true professionals are at their desk, heads down, because they are invested in the company. They want to see the company succeed as much as anyone else does. Make sure the flight director knows to tap someone else, um, perhaps a manager with a corporate purchase card, and go get some pizza and drinks. Uh, if folks have been at an outage for more than four hours, especially if you're mostly co-located in the same office, 
bring some food. And really, one of the final points is the technical team, the flight director, really needs to be visible the next business day. If that's in your office with your door open, or that's making yourself known and that you're there and available on on Slack or IRC, it's really super important to make yourself available that next day so you can figure out what questions people have or maybe if something's not working the way it should. I always make a point after an unplanned outage with like the elk service that we help to run that the next day, even if I've been up all night, the next day I am in the office first thing in the morning or I am on chat. I am present. I'm able to answer questions. I make it publicly known that I'm the person to talk to about, you know, if you have questions or lingering issues to make sure that everything is back to where it's supposed to be. And if you have a larger outage and you have a flight director, that is a great place for them to be sitting because they have the timeline of events. They have a knowledge of all the things that happened and what may still be lingering or other services that may be marginal in any way. And they're the ones who can best communicate to everybody else to say, yes, 95% of things are up. These couple of things are still down. The team that was working all night has gone to sleep. They'll be back in at noon or whenever, and they're going to come in then to patch things up. But you have somebody who's who's able to put a face on it and people can talk to and not just have a status page or an email blast that goes out that people are going, huh? Yeah, I think it's a common theme with a lot of our episodes, communication. The practical aspects of communication. Look for it in your next episode. Oh, wait. Social problems. A lot of these things that we do come down to social problems. And yes, that's a common occurring theme. And if you go to Monodrama, you're going to get... That will be covered at length because this is a business full of people. And as much as as much as folks come to this profession because I, had, I want to work with computers and not with people, just like every other business, this is all about the people. This is all about the, the personal yeah, relationships. Yeah, the hard people to work with. Wow. <laughs> that also <laughs> comes in. I was definitely surprised, especially this year at Montrama, at all of the presentations around soft skills and people skills. And less so about uh, the technical aspects of monitoring. And I definitely don't think monitoring has been well solved, so to speak. But the the social parts of of dealing with outages, of dealing with pager groups, are hugely significant. So as we go more through this topic, we're going to be talking about kind of the nuts and bolts of running an outage itself. If you're in the middle of a a longer planned outage, how to better handle and manage and coordinate those things. Um, Possibly go through some kind of hypotheticals of, okay, your data center has just died or Amazon has just lost US East 1 or what do you do? How do you then start planning for stuff? So these things we'll be talking about in more detail in future episodes. How to generate we, some documentation that can really save your bacon during an outage. I don't promise that this will be next episode, but we are going to be coming back to this theme frequently for the next while. So with that, I would like to ask you to take the time to rate the show on Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. It really is the best way for new listeners to find us. We also... Uh, Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. If there's a piece of the outage puzzle that you would like us to go into a little more depth, 
please let us know. Or if you have advice or other tips about things that we have missed in the, the, the planning stuff, please tell us. You can leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm. Send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm, or use at operations.fm on Twitter. And that wraps it up for the 54th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins.